Good morning, everyone, officially, and Merry Christmas, officially. Merry Christmas Eve. So, Dad had a Christmas sermon ready to go, and then the Lord providentially rearranged the plans. And so, instead, we're going to turn to Psalm 32. But fear not, because it is certainly relevant to what we're celebrating at Christmas time. Psalm 32. If I were going to title this sermon, I would title it A Truly Merry Christmas, and the subtitle would be The Joy of a Clean Conscience. A Truly Merry Christmas, The Joy of a Clean Conscience. When we say Merry Christmas to one another, that's kind of lost any kind of major significance. It's basically like saying, have a nice day nowadays. I want to encourage us to rethink that. When we say Merry Christmas from one one brother in Christ to another, one sister in Christ to another, think of it like, think of it like, Warriors on a battlefield that are taking a break to uh, have, a, have a nice meal cooked up by the Salvation Army. And they all sit down together and they have this great feast. And then the Merry Christmas is like this. Let's go back at it with joy. It's this. The king has come. We have reason for, for mirth. As, as merry gentlemen... We're not just like happy because we're having a party once a year. We're happy because we're happy all the way down. We're happy because we are blood-bought people. So we shouldn't just have a merry Christmas. We should be a merry people. We should be a joyous people. Contagiously, overflowingly, perhaps annoyingly to the occasional Grinch who is rubbed the wrong way by somebody who's really overflowing with joy. But that should be us. So, Merry Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas to you, my brothers and sisters. And because of the truth of Merry Christmas, the truth of the coming of Christ, may that joy, may that mirth characterize us all the year long. May we be those happy warriors. You see, you hear about in the stories. You see them in the movies. It's the guy that, and everything's terrible. Everything's just falling apart. It's the thick of battle. It couldn't get more, more difficult, more exhausting, more painful. And he's... Seems to be having a good time. He's just making jokes, doing what needs to be done, keeps on fighting the fight. That's the guy you want in the trench next to you. In real warfare, by real I mean strictly physical, what kind of brothers and sisters do we want to be in the trenches next to each other in the even realer warfare of the spiritual conflict that is going on? We want to be merry warriors. Robin Hood's band of men are characterized as what? It's Robin Hood and his merry men. That's a scary army. That's a force to be reckoned with. A well-trained force? Yeah, that, that's, that's intimidating. That's significant. But a merry force? A joyful army? Watch out. You better get out of the way of an army full of merry men and merry women. 
So we should have a truly merry Christmas, and we should have that truly merry joy that comes from what happened through Christ, flowing through us all the year. (laughs) Every time I'm giving any kind of Christmas address, all these quotes from Christmas films are coming to mind. Like Scrooge, I will uh, cherish the spirits of Christmas inside me and keep them all the year. Okay, that's garbage. Don't cherish the spirits of Christmas inside of you. But the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit all the year long. And the ones that we meditate on in December should just be strengthened so that we go into the new year as happy warriors. So let's meditate on the joy of a clean conscience from Psalm 32. I'm going to read the whole psalm and then we'll go back through it. A psalm of David, a masquil. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's walk back through that. Starts off with an exclamation. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? sin is covered. We see the word blessed over and over again in scripture, and it's easy to kind of get used to it, get deadened to it, and it loses its impact. But this, I I looked it up this morning, the the term is, it's an interjection. It's it's not, it's, it's a statement of like happiness. So it's not just kind of like a, blessed is he, I guess, or or, I don't know, we're used to thinking of a blessing as something you pronounce on someone, and I'm sure there are connections there that I'm not qualified to explore or dive into. All I know is that this is, it's got more weight behind it than I know I naturally read when I read it. I'm just used to seeing blessed. Okay, like, it's good for this guy, right? It's good for the guy whose transgression has been covered. That's great. What's well, more than that? But it's, it's blessed. How blessed is that man? That is a happy man. Wow, that's blessed. How blessed. Wow. That's the kind of impact we should read this with. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So here's point one. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, I've, I've got this. I think the psalm is structured in, I believe it's a chiasm, where it builds to the point and then comes down from the point. So we have A, B, C, D, and then we have D1, C1, B1, A1. So it comes A, B, C, D, 
D1, C1, B1, A1, okay? So here's A, is what we just read. A is the joy of a clean conscience. The joy of a clean conscience. And my first question for all of us, including myself, is where is my joy? Where, what is my joy rooted in? But also, like, do, do I have it? Do I have this attitude? Because David says, wow, how blessed is this man whose transgressions have been forgiven. Do I wake up out of bed in the morning with that kind of attitude? Because that should, if we understand it right, that should put a skip in our step. That should make us want to shout. Makes David want to shout. <laughs> so if we get it, if we understand it, if we understand the reality of what we're celebrating at Christmas time, of what it means that God took on flesh, he was the lamb, he was slain for our sin. Talk about joy to the world. Conversely, if we don't get it, if we don't understand it, if we don't have that joy of a clean conscience, then we make awful, lame carolers. And I'm not just talking about actually caroling on your cul-de-sac. I'm meaning as Christians, we're called to be Christmas carolers all the time, right? We go and preach the gospel everywhere we go. What is the gospel? What is Christmas? They're, They're connected. The gospel, God came, saved us, delivered us from our sins, took our punishment, baby in the manger, Messiah on the cross, empty tomb. If we don't get it, how do you go out there and sing joy to the world the way it deserves? If I don't, if I don't have that joy, how can I go and say, come to the feast? It's amazing. Trust me. It's great. You should try it. Maybe it'll work for you because clearly it didn't work for me. Right? That's not the biblical perspective on the gospel. That's not the biblical perspective on our forgiveness on our standing before the holy God. So, A, the joy of a clean conscience. And the two subpoints for A would be number one, not by our perfection, but by God's forgiveness. Notice this. This is huge. How blessed is he? What does David say? How blessed is he who doesn't have transgressions? How blessed is he who does not have sins? How blessed is the man to whom he has no iniquity for the Lord to impute to him? No. That's not the message. It's not, I am happy because I do such a great job that I have a clean conscience. Isn't it great to be me? Just so, so perfect that I, I don't feel any guilt? I mean, if, if we were capable of achieving that, it'd be, it'd be wonderful to not feel any guilt, right? God offers us something even better. And that's the righteousness of Christ. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom Yahweh does not impute iniquity. Why does he not impute iniquity? Isaiah tells us the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him. So the Lord does impute iniquity, just not to me, just not to you. That iniquity got imputed. It had to get dealt with. It had to go somewhere. And it went on the baby in the manger. That's where the iniquity got imputed. And because of that, because of that, now we proclaim, how blessed am I? How happy am I? 
because my transgressions are forgiven. My sin is covered. My iniquity, I don't carry it anymore. Jesus took it to the cross. Yahweh put it on him, and by his stripes, I am healed. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel so short sells that. So short sells that line. By his stripes, you were healed. As if that's just about fixing your your physical ailment right now. No, it's about so much more than that. So much more than that. Yeah, one day all the physical ailments will be gone. But my goodness, why pull up short? We've got so much greater healing to rejoice in. Okay, so A2, that was A1. It's not by our perfection, but by God's forgiveness. A2, the last line, notice, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So this happy man, this blessed man, he's forgiven. He's not happy because he has earned his own righteousness. He's done everything perfectly. He's happy because he's been forgiven. But there is an element here. In his spirit, there is no deceit. He's walking in the light. He is walking with God uprightly. He didn't get fire insurance so that he could continue walking in sin. That's not true salvation. He came, was forgiven, his conscience is clean, and now he has a clean spirit. There's no deceit in his spirit. He's walking in the light. That's a happy man or woman. That is someone who has real, deep, rooted joy. Why? Because I'm clean, I'm forgiven, my sins were nailed to the cross, and I'm walking in fellowship with my heavenly father. I'm not, I'm not hiding sin. There's no deceit that I'm uh, rolling under my tongue. No sin that I'm keeping back from the holiness of God. Okay, let's move on to B, verses three and four. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So B is the misery of a dirty conscience. First part was the joy of a clean conscience. Second part is the misery of a dirty conscience. He's miserable. My body is wasting away. I'm groaning all day long. Why? Because I I kept silent about my sin. I did not deal with it. I didn't walk in the light. I am not experiencing the forgiveness of God. I'm experiencing what? The fatherly chastening of God. This is a good thing. It's a good thing that David is miserable in this season that he's describing here. It's a good thing that he's sad. Why? Because he's hiding sin. So the two subpoints for this, for the misery of a dirty conscience, would be number one, failure to confess. This is the root of the problem. He kept silent about his sin. And number two, he is faithful. God is faithful to convict. So if we, if we won't deal with our sin, he will. If we won't confess our sin... He will chasten our sin. And this is a blessing. This is a mercy. We see parents nowadays, and I'm sure they've always been there, but we see often nowadays the, the, the classic, Johnny, time to leave the playground. One, two, three, four, 26, 27. What does scripture tell us? He who loves his son disciplines him diligently. God doesn't count. God spanks. That's not always fun for us, but it truly and genuinely does mean that he loves us. It is good 
that our dirty conscience makes us miserable. God is faithful to convict his children and we should give thanks for that. I do not want to be at the place where I can sin and enjoy it. I pray that God would never let me get away with sin and just have a great time. That is a chilling thought to me. And you know what? It should be a chilling thought to anybody who can do that because that puts you in the category of what? You're, you're more in the Romans 1 category where God has turned you over to your base passions and the wrath of God is being poured out upon you. And that should scare you and bring you to repentance and faith. If you do not feel the misery of a dirty conscience, then you're in an even worse place. The misery of a dirty conscience is good because that's showing you your path back. I'm miserable and I know how to get joy. I need to come back to the cross. I need to come back to my loving father. And what, what comes to mind there is the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son comes back to the father. And what does the father do? Chide him and chasten him and discipline him more? No, the father runs to meet him. So that joy is waiting. It's an open door. It's waiting for us. If you have a dirty conscience, if you do not have the joy of a clean conscience, then come to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify, if you don't know, if you don't already know, to identify where the root issue is here. What is it, Lord, that is keeping me from having open fellowship with you? Because that is the root of my joy. Open fellowship with God, made possible by the blood of Christ, but I can't, I can't enjoy it while I'm also enjoying sin. Okay, C, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So we had the joy of a clean conscience. We have the misery of a dirty conscience. Now we have the path to a clean conscience. And within the path to a clean conscience, the two points, number one, we confess. We make the switch. We yield to his hand. It's like the, the toddler that his parent is, is holding and like it's, it's time to go to sleep or time for family worship or whatever. He's sitting there and just fighting, pushing, miserable, right? I want to do what I want to do and mommy or daddy won't, won't let me up. They won't let me move. They're making me sit here for family, family worship or whatever the thing is. The moment that little child... Makes the switch. Okay. Yes, daddy. Yes, mommy. What happens? Life's good. Family worship's all of a sudden pretty enjoyable. It's the rebellion in the heart that makes everything terrible. <laughs> makes everything miserable. We were talking about, on the way here, we were talking about, I listened to snippets of a, a debate ish a, like tv debate or something between ron DeSantis and gavin newsom and i won't get off into discussing all of that although it was quite entertaining the little bits that i heard but we were just talking about gavin newsom being the governor of california and california being a massive heap of refuse literally now and just talking about how we as humans we think we're so smart we think we're so sophisticated and intelligent, and also left to our own devices, we will literally vote ourselves into oblivion. Like, we're, we're that dumb. The Bible calls us sheep. 
we, we think we're just amazing in our, our reason and our philosophy and our capacities. But we're not. We just need to come to God and surrender. We need to stop being the toddler who thinks, I'm going to figure this all out. I can do this left to my own devices. And we need to just submit. And so that's, that's what happens here. I acknowledged my sin to you. So number one, we confess. We make that switch. We yield. You can, you can physically feel it when you think about it. When you think about what does it feel like to refuse to confess your sin? It feels like this. No. And what does it feel like to confess your sin? Everything just relaxes. You have peace. All that tension and stress melts away. And that's what David does here. I acknowledged my sin to you. I made that switch to where I stopped hiding and I started yielding to my God. I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what? Part two. Uh, this is C2. He forgives. He forgives. He forgives. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Does that hit us with the weight that it should? He forgives. That's a promise. That's who he is. That's the God we serve. We serve. You're not, you're not going to God hoping that he's going to forgive your sin. He already told you. He already told you. It's been paid. Isaiah 55. Ho! Anyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you have no money, come, buy and eat. Without price without cost he already told you so just confess just confess and he will forgive okay d the security of the one who has a clean conscience so we've got the joy of a clean conscience the misery of a dirty conscience the path to a clean conscience and then the security of the one who has a clean conscience therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. This is the same guy, the same guy whose vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. He was miserable under the heavy hand of God because of his sin. The same guy is now saying, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. It is the forgiveness of God that transforms the guilty and the broken into mirthful warriors. He's fearless now. He went from weak and broken to fearless, proclaiming his status as the defended, the protected son of the king. Part one, D1 would be do it now. The beginning of verse 6, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. We should get on it. Not wait for someday. How much of our misery is self-inflicted? Yeah, if not all. Because, again, we're that toddler. And instead of immediately at the beginning submitting and relaxing and enjoying family worship with, with mommy and daddy, no, I'm going to spend the first 10 minutes in this struggle for my own independence, and I'm just going to be miserable the whole time. Another analogy 
that I've, I've heard dad tell the story of a couple of kids in a bathtub and one of the children has all the bath toys and is hovering over them to make sure the other child does not get any of the bath toys. That child is having no fun with the bath toys. He's just preserving his idol. That's us all the time. How many marriage fights? How many hours upon hours upon hours have I wasted because I was mad about something? And I just would not make that switch. We inflict our own misery. Just do it now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And for us as believers, that's, that's at any time that we're ready to come to him. Although the other, the other kind of chilling reality is we don't know the future, right? People have had a marriage fight. One of them leaves in a huff and dies in a car wreck. It does happen. So rather than presuming upon the future, and also rather than just wasting your opportunity to enjoy what God has given you right now, do it now. Do it now. And as soon as you do, you get to number two, rest in the security that comes from an unbroken relationship with God. You get to start saying, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach me. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Get right with God. And then you get to start singing the songs of a child of God that's in right fellowship with his father. That's the joyful place to be. That's the mirthful warrior. And obviously this doesn't mean that our our trials melt away. This doesn't mean that our difficulties just vanish. That same spouse that you were mad at might have genuinely offended you. That offense might still need to be dealt with. That guy that cut you off in traffic, that schedule that didn't go the way you wanted it to go, whatever, fill in the blank, might still be there. Indeed, the, the sick loved one or the, you know, the financial difficulty or the even really serious trials, they may still be there. But when we're facing them as children of God in unbroken relationship with our Father, that's a very, very different trial now. Now the trial is not me versus my flesh versus my trial. It's me and the King of all glory versus my trial. That doesn't mean, obviously, I'm not saying that God is not on our, if we, we mess up and oh, he's not on our side anymore. You know, no, of course not. All of our sin was taken to the cross, even the sins that we haven't dealt with properly yet. But there is this reality of being in fellowship with our loving father. Another example, if you're at family dinner and little Johnny is throwing food and generally being a, a terrible, terrible little child, and he's sent down to the basement and I'm, I'm, riffing off of an analogy that Doug Wilson made to give credit where credit is due. I don't think I'm applying it quite the same way he did, but little Johnny's sent down to the basement as a consequence, and he has to go sit in the basement until he gets his heart right. Does his father still love him? Absolutely. Is his father going to now allow someone to come in and kidnap him? Absolutely not. Right? His father still loves him. He's still a part of the family, but there is a break in the relationship. And it's not on the father's side. It's not because the father wants to be done with his son. Not at all. It's because the son needs to get his heart right and come back. Well, so it is with us. It's not like our salvation's in question. God hates us all of a sudden. He's just glowering at us from heaven. No. But we still need to get our hearts right. And we see that right here. So once we have that clean conscience, we rest. We proclaim to ourselves the joyous truths that are ours in Christ. Okay. 
So that was A, B, C, D. Now we're going D, C, B, A as we close out the psalm. D, 1, D, 1. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So we were just talking about, from our perspective, speaking to the Lord. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Now the Lord speaks. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Is that amazing? To you? To me? It should be. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's watching you. Not, not like the American federal government is watching you. That's creepy. Not like Santa Claus is seeing you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. Also creepy. No, this is the eye of a loving father. And the almighty God of the universe is watching us, watching our daily walk, promising to counsel us, promising to guide us. That's amazing. This is one of my favorite verses of scripture. One of my favorite promises to claim. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. You don't, you don't know where you should go? Well, me neither, right? That, correct. Again, we're sheep. But this, if this is true, if God keeps his promises, and he does, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the keeping of a promise that was millennia in coming. The promise of the Messiah. If God keeps that kind of promise, you think he's going to keep this promise too? You bet he is. Or we're, or we're all sunk. What are we doing here? Right? If God doesn't keep the promises of his word, then we're lost. No, he does keep his promises. And we can take them by faith. So when you don't know what to do, turn to Psalm 32, verse 8. And pray, Lord, you promised. You would instruct me. You would teach me in the way we should go. This is also one of my favorite promises to weaponize. Because as we talk about dealing with a dirty conscience, if you are prone to overthinking, like I am, then one of the things you can struggle with is you never get a clean conscience. Because there's always something else to worry about. There's always something else to analyze and wonder. But did I do this thing right? And do I need to apologize for this thing? And was the way that I said this thing? And then you wind up stressed out. And anxious. This verse is balm for that anxious soul. I love being able to claim this verse and just say, Okay, Lord, I don't exactly know what to do here. And I am willing to apologize or repent if there's something I need to. But you told me that you would show me. You told me you would instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. So I'm asking you to do it. I'm trusting you to do it. And I'm moving on by faith. You are quite capable of showing me what I should do here. So I'm just going to move forward in joy and obey the thing you've put in front of me. Man, there's freedom there. Man, there is joy there. Because God keeps his promises. So we are secure in God's counsel. We don't have to be afraid of missing it. I'm going to miss what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm going to miss the thing I was supposed to apologize for. I'm going to miss the, um, the thing that I was supposed to learn and grow in. I'm going to miss whatever, fill in, fill in the blank. Don't be afraid of missing it. Just be walking humbly with your God. What does he require of us? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God.
So we can rest in his forgiveness. We can trust him to convict us. And we can trust him to guide us. Okay, C1. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. It goes back to how we flatter ourselves about being so wise. And scripture comes along and says, don't be like a horse. Because a lot of times, we're like a horse. Or a mule. I want to go where I want to go. And so you have to put a bridle on the thing to get it to do what it's supposed to do. And the Lord says, don't be like that. Also notice the line, otherwise they will not, what? Come near to you. I find that line interesting. Because in our relationship with God, so often it is our mulishness that keeps us away from the Lord. We won't come near to him. And he is faithful. He bridles us and he pulls us near to him again. But it's a standing invitation to not be like that. Draw near willingly. Draw near willingly. We yield to his promised guidance. Yield don't have to be broken, but rather willingly yield. Be one. Next verse. Number 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in Yahweh, loving kindness shall surround him. So the choice is before us. Misery or mercy. Oh, and I haven't done a good job pointing out the, the parallelism there. So on the, the D section, we had the, you are my hiding place, and then it went into, I will instruct you and teach you. So we have the security of the one with the clean conscience, and then God speaking to him about how we will be secure in his counsel. The next section about the horse and the mule, the parallel section above, the way I'm breaking it down, at least, is the part about David acknowledging his sin to God. So don't be like the horse and the mule. Do instead acknowledge your sin. Come near to the Lord. Now now we're to be one, which is verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, will surround, shall surround him. If we look at the section B section above was three and four. That's the part about when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. You want to have the joy of the righteous? You want to have the loving kindness of the Lord surround you? What's the operative verb? Trust. He who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. So we have set before us a choice. Death and life. Joy or misery. Which one do you want? Which one do I want? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. So God has promised, here are your options. Choose wickedness and many sorrows. Choose faith in God and being surrounded by the loving kindness of God. And the active verb is trust. The man with a clean conscience is a man who trusts. He comes to God by faith. Last verse. Remember, we started off, our A section was, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And now we're ending with what? Be glad. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Why don't we take this literally? Why don't we read this, at least for me, I am growing in 
seeing this pattern in scripture, this, this overwhelming sort of joy and thinking, I want that in my life. I want that in my home. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. These are excited people. These folks are worked up. They're so glad that they're hooting and hollering. They're excited. That's the kind of salvation we have. It should make us want to shout. Not just make us say it makes us want to shout. It should actually, like, shout. David tells us, shout for joy. Do we have that kind of joy? Does it come out our fingertips like that? Another Christmas reference. George Bailey says he'll give Mary the moon and she'll, she'll swallow it. and It'll come out the tips of her fingers and her hair. Okay, yeah, that doesn't work with the moon. But it should work with the joy of the Lord. If we're tasting and seeing of the goodness of God, that should lead to us shouting for joy, being glad, rejoicing. Our Christmas celebrations should make the rest of the world think, man, my Santa Claus and my white elephant party are so lame because I see those Christians and I see the kind of joy that they have and it's not based on what side of the bed they woke up on. It's not based on their financial success. It's not based on their health. They've got something else that makes them so happy that they, they're just like shouting all the time with joy. What is up? With that, I want that. In the New Testament, we're given the Holy Spirit as something of an alternative to alcohol. The New Testament says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens to people who are drunk? It takes them over. They start to do things because they're intoxicated that they might not normally do. They lose their filters, they lose their inhibitions, and they either become more angry or they become hilarious or whatever. It takes them over. Scripture tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we walk with the Lord and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that should have an effect on us. It should change us. It should take us over. We should be different people. Obviously, we're not talking about some sort of, um, we're still chained by God's word. We're bound by God's word. We're guided by God's word. We're not talking about some sort of uh, wacky experience. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. But it should be something where he fills us and where we bear fruit. It should be something where we are shouting for joy, where we are changed. So A1 is the proper fruit of the joy of a clean conscience. Shouting for joy, rejoicing, having the kind of Christmas parties that are, they should just be the best. Christian weddings, they should be the best. Christian Thanksgiving feasts, whatever it is. You shouldn't be able to find better parties out there. Our parties, number one, are founded in truth. Number two, they, are full, they should be full of wholesome, godly celebration. So 
you can enjoy it without guilt, as opposed to some parties out there. But they should just be full and overflowing with joy. Because we have something real to rejoice over. So that's, that's a question for myself and for all of us. This is clearly true in a salvific sense, but it should also be true in our day-to-day. Am I, the question for me, the question for you, am I in a state of constant sorrow or am I in a state of trusting in the Lord? If I'm in a state of trusting in the Lord, that will bear fruit in joy. It will bear fruit in joy. That's verse 10 and 11. It's right there. So, in practical applications. So if we don't have joy, again, noting, noting all of the words in this psalm about what that looks like, what that looks like for the man whose transgression is forgiven. We have, starting off with these shouts of, blessed, blessed is this man. And then we end with, be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. That's what it's supposed to look like. So, if we were going to sum this up in... A couple words, it would be repentance leads to joy. There it is. Repentance leads to joy. You have guilt, you come to the cross, your guilt is laid on Christ, and now you are forgiven, and you should be full of joy. So the question then, if we don't have joy, would be either, I don't actually believe what God said, I say I believe it, But in my day-to-day application, I am waiting for myself to be good enough to have joy or I'm waiting for um, the circumstances to straighten out enough to have joy or fill in the blank. That's not the reason that God gives us for joy right here. So if I don't really believe it, then I can't. This joy is, it's inaccessible to me. It's locked in a safe. I can't touch it. I can have happiness depending on the circumstances. I cannot get at that joy. Because I don't really believe it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't have that. That's how we appropriate this to ourselves. He who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. So if I want to appropriate this joy, I can only do so by faith. If I don't believe it, I won't have it. So that's one option. If I don't have the joy, then maybe I just don't have faith. Maybe I just don't believe what God has said. Other option, I don't understand. I don't get it. I have, I, have, I have some faith, but clearly there's a disconnect. I know this is a boat that I'm in all the time. I believe what the Lord has said. I trust in what the Lord has said. But there are times where there is a disconnect between what God has said and what I am thinking and doing and experiencing that I need to work on. I need to get rid of that. I need to put that to death. I don't know about you, but so often when this is brought up, when the question of whether or not I have joy, it can feel like a guilt trip. It can feel like a, oh, I don't have joy. Oh, I'm such a failure. I failed again. I don't have joy. That's, that's not the point. This is an invitation. Yeah, it's an invitation we're commanded to accept. The Bible does tell us to rejoice. But it's an invitation. It's not a guilt trip to where, okay, man, I really am such a terrible person. Man, I really don't have enough joy. Man, I really am a failure. Ah, it's so terrible being so, I don't know. ah, Such a bad representation of God. I just, I wish I'd never been born. (laughs) No, 
it's not a guilt trip. Yes, we do have to do it. But my goodness, why wouldn't we want to? It's an invitation, standing invitation. Confess your transgressions to the Lord. He forgives the guilt of our sin. He will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. And we will be surrounded with, what an interesting phrase, surrounded with songs of deliverance. What does that mean? What does it mean to be surrounded with songs of deliverance? I don't know. All I know is it does not sound stoic and bland and factual. It sounds like a bunch of mirthful warriors to me. It sounds like a happy army. It sounds like Robin Hood and his merry men. You're surrounded with songs of deliverance. God not only delivers you, he does it singing. Or you will be singing. Or those he sends to deliver you will be singing. I don't know. Somebody's singing and you're getting delivered. This is a happy experience. This is a joyous victory. God is surrounding you with songs of deliverance. That should fill us. Okay? So, to be practical, number one would be confess and forsake. If we have a sin that we haven't confessed, that will kill your joy. You will not be in the how blessed category because there's still deceit in your spirit. So if you have sin, confess it and forsake it. And then number two, make war on it. What are the sins in your life? What are the sins in my life that I need to target and kill and kill it dead? That is the, one of the primary war, uh, acts of warfare that God calls us to. Put off the old man, put on the new man, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So make war on sin. We confess it and forsake it, but then we make war on it and we realize this sin is going to come between me and my father. This sin is offering me joy. Whatever, fill in the blank with your sin. Pornography. Disobedience to your parents. Rebellion against your husband. Pride in how you're treating your wife. Lack of generosity. Being stingy with your stuff. What is it? What is, what is yours? Fill in the blank. That sin is making you a promise. It's promising you if you come with me, you will have joy. You will be satisfied. You will be like God. It's better over here. Come over here. It's better over here. And you have to trade this to get that. You have to trade the how blessed to get that. So you trade in the songs of deliverance for the sorrows of the wicked. That's what sin always results in. While I'm making Christmas references, I may as well just keep on going. Um, one of my favorite Christmas movies, which I have only ever seen edited and therefore do not recommend, unless you can get it previewed or edited, but it's called Family Man. And in this story, I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but long story short is this man, rich businessman, thinks he has everything, has an encounter with an angel, and ends up in a dream like basically he's living life as if he had gotten married and had kids, which at first he hates because he doesn't have all the fancy rich stuff that he used to have. And then he ends up by the end of it realizing, my goodness, I've spent my whole life chasing wealth and I've missed the real riches. That's just backdrop. The point, the part that I really want to zoom in on for the making war on sin point is in this, this dreamlike life that he's living with the wife and kids, 
there is this other woman that is trying to convince him to cheat on his wife with her. And he is at, he has not come far along enough in all the things he's learning. He's very interested in doing this sinful thing. He's talking to his friend about it. And he says something about how, just trust me, the normal rules don't apply to me because he's in this dreamlike state. And his friend's response is, I'm not even talking about rules. And the, the point of his friend's argument with him is not, it's not about rules. It's what are you, what are you doing? Look what you're giving up. You're really going to destroy your marriage for this? Well, that's the offer that sin always makes, whatever the sin is. It's always, it'll be better over here. Just come over here. It'll be wonderful. It'll be fun. You'll have a great time. And we need to have the kind of walk with God where I am in such a state of constantly delighting in his goodness to me that I cannot imagine trading that for whatever you have to offer. It applies in this situation with the adultery, right? If you, have, if you love your wife, if you have a good relationship with your wife, how ready are you to destroy that by, by cheating on, on her with someone else? It's so much less attractive because you're thinking, why in the world would I give this up? It's not even rules at that point. It's not even I'm not supposed to do that. It's I delight in my wife. How could I do this? How could I throw away all that I have? That should be how it is for us with sin. When we make war on sin, it comes from a place of, I want to be surrounded with the songs of deliverance. Whatever you have to offer over there, that's a lie. I don't want the sorrows of the wicked. So yes, we do keep the law of God. We do want to obey the word of God. But we also need to realize that it's not just about getting, getting spanked, right? What is the goal with raising children? I don't want to raise my kids so that the rest of their life, they try to avoid getting spanked by daddy. Obviously, that's not going to work for very long anyway because they're going to get to a point where it's not even an option. But, but that's not the goal. Even if it did work, even if I could spank them at 30 years old for doing something wrong, that's not the goal. That's not the point, right? I want my kids to be doing what is right because they love it, because they want it. I want, I want that for my relationship with them where they want to please me. But ultimately, I want it to be, they want to please Christ. They see the goodness of Christ. They want to live for Christ. And that should be our desire as well. I would rather be surrounded by the songs of deliverance than sharing the feasts of the wicked. And in case, you know, in case we, for for those times where we're not feeling it the way we should, Scripture reminds us, by the way, many are the sorrows of the wicked. So, if you're having a hard time right now tasting the goodness and you're really feeling tempted, just remember that it's also the end is death. So, so there's also that. Okay, number three, fight in mirthful faith. When we fight against sin, when we fight against whatever the battles are that God has put before us, we can do so in mirthful faith, joyful faith, because we serve a promise-keeping God. His loving kindness surrounds us. Our sin is forgiven. He will counsel us and teach us. He is our hiding place. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? The Lord is my rock and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So we can go fight the good fight against our sin and against the world, the flesh, and the devil and against the thorns and the thistles. 
Against injustice, against poverty, whatever fights God has given us to fight, we fight it like these people. These blessed people. These happy people. These shouting with joy people. Fight in mirthful mirthful faith. Four, go rejoice in what Jesus has done. And five, rest in God's guidance. These all kind of go together. We find joy in the fact that God said he's going to guide me. I'm resting in his guidance. Does that, does that give your heart rest? Have you meditated on that lately? Whatever it is that disturbs your heart, have you meditated on this promise? God will instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. Rest in that. Just rest. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. He's doing that. Not us. So much peace and joy there. And then we go rejoice. Go rejoice in what Jesus has done. Choose to rejoice. Choose not to waste Christmas Day. Tomorrow. Choose not to waste it with whatever the sinful temptation will be. There will be one. Right? I mean, almost always there's some... Some opportunity, just ruin it. Just blow it. Here, here's, the, here's the fight with your spouse at 8.30 in the morning. It's, a, it's an invitation. You know, the return address is the pit of hell. Hey, you want to ruin your day? Here you go. Here's your opportunity to be miserable for the next five hours. Because you've got to go to the event. You don't have time to talk through all of this. And you just feel so hurt and offended Here's my advice. When you receive that invitation, burn it. Whatever it is, the devil's pretty good at figuring out what temptation will will work for you. What temptation will distract you? What temptation will ruin your day? Reject it. Not at this address. And then we rejoice. If what God says is true. Have you, have you experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? Where you choose joy? Sometimes it's hard. It's not like a switch you can flip in one way. Because it doesn't just all of a sudden. All of the angst just melts away. But you, you really can do that. In the power of Christ. You can choose to rejoice. It's not the same thing as choosing happiness. Choosing happiness is a different thing entirely. You can't, you can't do that. But you can choose joy. You can say, okay, you know what I am not going to do? I am not going to meditate on this thing for the next hour. Because I know that doesn't please the Lord. I know that right now I should be rejoicing in the goodness of God. I know this is my opportunity to make memories with my kids of daddy being happy on Christmas and talking about how good God is. And I know that the devil would love me to make memories with my kids of that Christmas that dad was just like grumpy all day. No, no, thank you. Not here. Jesus is king here. God is on the throne here. As for me and my house, we will say the baby in the manger gives me reason to have joy regardless of X. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what I as daddy or mommy or Sibling, it doesn't matter. Wherever God put you, 
That's what I'm going to do. Even if you are by yourself. Does God want you to be by yourself and miserable? No, you're not by yourself. You're in the presence of the Holy One. So shout for joy. You are beloved by God. May those shouts of joy characterize us all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Your marvelous, magnificent love. Thank you that you care for us. You watch us. Your eyes are upon us. Not because you can't wait to see us mess up so you can judge us. But rather because you love us, you offer us your counsel, your instruction, your mercy, your forgiveness. Lord, let us be a people who is walking in fellowship with you. Let us be a people who is overflowing with shouts of joy because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. May it not be said of us that we were the frozen chosen. Straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the joy of those who have been forgiven. Lord, fill us with those shouts of praise, I pray. Let us see it. Let us get it. Let us believe it all the way down, I pray. And help us to see things in their proper perspective. I pray that this Christmas Eve, today, Christmas Day, tomorrow, that you would be glorified, that you would fill our homes with joy, with love for others, with memories that are tied to you. I pray that our children would grow up tasting and seeing that you are good and that they too would come to the feast. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a God who surrounds his people with songs of deliverance. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.